Hello. Look, we've been having an amazing journey through the world of Passive House. So if you haven't checked out the recent episodes on the podcast, make sure that you do so. They've been getting really great feedback. Thanks to those of you who've been getting in touch with me. Even if you're not planning on building or renovating a Passive House, uh, it's it's just been fascinating and really f- I've just really loved sharing the points of view from each of the different professionals involved in bringing the Alwoods Passive House project to life. So right through from the design process, the certification, the uh, the construction on site, you know, checking all of its performance, all of those types of things. It's just, it's really rare to be able to bring um, all of those points of view and the clients as well to, to you know, f- to be able to get insight to all of those different people and players and the roles that they've they've had in the project. Um, and I really hope that you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had and that you found them helpful whether you're planning on doing a passive house or not. So um, it's really, you know, I really love sharing this insight into the experience of designing, building, renovating, teamwork, you know, the experience overall. So in this episode, I'm going to be sharing the experience of a homeowner who renovated their early 1900s weatherboard home into a passive house. Uh, they've now been in it for with their family for three years and it's located in inner Melbourne. So it's about 10 kilometres from the CBD of Melbourne. Uh, and it's a really great opportunity to see how a type of home that is notoriously known for being not so great uh, in its thermal performance, how it can actually be renovated into a passive house that is comfortable and that saves thousands of dollars in running costs each year. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before I jump into the podcast, let me share with you that this episode is brought to you by my online course, How to Get It Right in Your Reno or New Home. So this is a supercharged, super fast course that will really help you get ready for your renovation or building project in the best way possible. In it, I share my step-by-step system to help you save time, money and stress in your project you know, this is about you getting prepared so that you can know what you need to know and be able to create the perfect home for you simply and with confidence and avoiding all the drama, mistakes, heartaches, all of those types of things. Now, you can join now. You can get access to a fantastic Facebook community. We have live Q&A sessions that I run and all of the tools and resources that you need to achieve success in your project. So head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash how to get it right to learn more and to join us. Now, as I said, this episode is about the renovation of an early 1900s weatherboard home in inner Melbourne. It's and its journey to becoming a passive house. Now, Cameron Munro is the owner, and since doing this renovation, actually, he's at, he's become a certified passive house consultant. He's a mechanical engineer by career. He has a wealth of knowledge and information to share about how this home was renovated and its performance over the past three years that his family has occupied it. 
Now, I have a confession to make. This episode was supposed to be an interview with Cameron. It was going to be such a great interview. It was full of gold and great tips and really amazing advice about how to renovate an old weatherboard home into a house that only costs $450 a year in energy bills. We had the best conversation about his home and his experience of renovating and living in it, but... Unfortunately, Skype was not playing along for me. The quality of the sound recording, it was so terrible. We couldn't do anything to salvage it. And I know that the UA community are a patient and tenacious and determined bunch when it comes to uh, finding out information for renovating a building. But to listen to this sound quality, honestly, it was just going to be torture for you. And I didn't want to inconvenience Cameron by making him record the entire interview with me again. Uh, So never fear. What I've actually done is I've had the entire interview transcribed, okay, word for word. So a transcription of the whole interview is online for you to read on the blog. Um, and And I've popped the link in the show notes for that. But don't go away just yet because I actually thought the best thing to do with this episode, because I know, you know, some of you listen on your commute or on your, you know, weekly walk on a a Tuesday as soon as this goes live, that's your listening. So I didn't want to disappoint you. What I've actually done instead is I'm going to use this episode to share the highlights from my conversation with Cameron and also from other research that I've done on his, uh, the website is created for this house um, so that you can really understand more about Cameron's family home and the renovation. All right. So when you have stopped listening to this, head to the transcript. The link is undercoverarchitect.com forward slash Cameron. And I've popped that in the show notes as well. But let me share more with you about this fantastic renovation project. So Cameron's family home is known as the Armadale Passive House and they actually open this home up annually for the Sustainable House Open Day. Uh, And I'll pop a link for that in the show notes. Um, And Cameron also, as I said, has a great website on all the nitty gritty details uh, that went into this home and project. Um, It's just fantastic. And I'll pop a link in the show notes to that as well. So as I said, it's a home that was built circa 1910. Uh, It's a weatherboard cottage. It faces north to street. Uh, And if you've listened to this podcast for a while and you've heard the episodes that I did on uh, back in season one on orientation, you'll know that north to street is a really challenging orientation in the Southern Hemisphere because this is because we like to put all of our main living areas at the rear of our home and we like to have an indoor-outdoor connection into our private garden or our deck or our fresco area at the rear and lots of glazing connecting, you know, the indoors and the outdoors. And if the home is north to street, that means that the sun is actually moving around the front of the home Uh, and the street side of the home and not the rear where we're trying to put all of our primary living spaces. So this can mean, especially in a location like Melbourne, that the rear of your home where it's not getting direct sunlight, it can be cold, it can be in shadow as the sun moves around the front of your house and makes your house cast a shadow over your back garden and you'll be not getting natural light that you want into those main living areas. So this this is what Cameron and his family were dealing with. Circa 1910 weatherboard home facing north to street and it was also in it is also in a heritage overlay so that meant that any extensive alteration to the facade to the street side of the house wasn't going to be allowed 
there were two brick chimneys that had to be kept. So, you know, I know lots of lots of homeowners at this point would just put their hands up and say, forget passive house. We're actually, you know, putting this entire renovation into the too hard basket. It's not for the faint hearted. Now, it sits on 430 square metre block in inner Melbourne. And Cameron said that they'd lived in two weatherboard homes prior to this one. So their experience was always that leaky sieve experience that you may be familiar with if you've ever lived in a weatherboard house. You literally can feel every breeze move through them they're hot in summer they're cold in winter you know they're they're known as not great performers thermally and the Armadale house Cameron said when they moved into it it was exactly that same thing they were they could see the sky and sunlight coming you know in below the the door they could see the sky through you know various parts of the house and the windows would rattle with the slightest breeze and the chimneys meant that they could they could see the sky and rain would come down them whenever it rained as well so Cameron actually said to me, you know, his wife is Swedish and he personally had also lived in Sweden for 10 years. And his wife said that when she came, you know, the first winter that she had in Australia, living in one of these weatherboard types of homes, it was actually the coldest winter that she'd ever lived through. And she comes from a country where there is snow on the ground for five months of the year. So this is a point I really want to bring home to you, pardon the pun, really want to help you remember because I think we've become quite accustomed to living in Australia in terribly performing homes where we pay for the privilege of air conditioning heaters or other artificial means to heat and cool our homes. And we basically, you know, as Cameron said to me, we just throw cash and energy at a solution that our houses could actually solve for us if they were built differently. And in Europe and other locations where the climate's considered more extreme, you know, you do get long periods of cold or of heat, you know, building methodologies have actually been shaped to create homes that are more comfortable to live in without it costing a fortune in energy bills. So Cameron actually said that that experience of living in Sweden, it changed his baseline for what a comfortable home could be described as. And their motivation for renovating the Armadale house was to achieve a comfortable building, but not just do it in a way that usually happens in Australia, which is you, you know, you just renovate or build however you want, and then you stick a big heater or an air conditioner into the home in order to deal with getting a comfortable air temperature, but to actually do it in a more intelligent and thoughtful way. He also said that this comfort wasn't just about the temperature of the home, but it was also about drafts and about moisture and about protecting the home from mold and all of those types of things that are possible when you use the passive house building system. You can actually protect your home from things like mold and uh, moisture and drafts and, you know, things that can bring allergies to, to people in the home. So for him and his family, renovating their home as a passive house, it was it was about achieving a building environment that was comfortable irrespective of what was going on outside and it was about having a home that would then be cheap to run over the long term. So, you know, Cameron said to me, once you've spent all of that emotional and financial energy building the home, it stays cheap to run forever. And for him and his family, that made perfect sense. Now, I actually asked Cameron what passive house features this home has, because when you're starting with the, you know, the slate of a weatherboard house or weatherboard cottage, that could be considered incredibly challenging to turn, you know, to apply the passive house features to it. So, 
Remember I said I've got a popping a link in the show notes to the website that Cameron's created for this house because it's very detailed about what they did and how the various methodologies that they applied and it's got you know data and those types of things on it on the house's performance as well so if you're into that kind of information it's it's a really brilliant resource so um and I've also popped as I said a link to our interview transcript okay so now Cameron also on his website, he goes through the home's energy use and its cost savings. Um, So as I said, show notes for that link. All right. Now, Cameron said to me that one of the things that really appealed to him about Passive House is that it's a system. It's a building system. So if you've been listening to the other episodes in this series, you'll know that other guests have said this as well. They've described Passive House like this. It's not something that you can do in a piecemeal way. You need to actually incorporate all the parts of Passive House in order to get the true success of this approach. So Cameron pointed out, he said to me, you know, in in a standard house renovation or build, we put insulation into our walls, but then we don't worry about sealing all the gaps around the insulation in a standard home. You know, and it hadn't occurred to me before, but this is so true. Yes, you'll actually see installers, they'll cut it to measure, they'll, they'll push it so that it's snug between frame members, but they don't seal it in any of those gaps. And Cameron spoke to me about how heat has an innate tendency just to find the easiest pathway through a construction. And so it will just go around it and it'll find the gaps and you'll lose the effectiveness of what you're trying to do. So Passive House actually uses a thicker insulation than standard. It's done as a continuous insulation layer. So there's no easy point for heat to escape in winter or to come in in summer. And they also um, consider thermal bridging. So they're avoiding any part of the home structure acting as a conductor of heat from inside to outside to inside or inside to outside. And, um, you know, Stuart, uh, who built the Alwoods Passive House, he spoke about this. We've had other guests speak about this. So so we've got insulation, we've got thermal bridging. Cameron also said their home uses triple glazing in its windows. And that's the same as the Alwoods Passive House as well. So um, Cameron pointed out, he said, in a passive house, you're going to need to invest in the windows to reduce the transfer of temperature because they'll be the largest source of heat loss or heat gain in a home. Now, and I'll explain more about the windows because Cameron had some fantastic information to share about um, about how windows can perform and how to assess them as well. So now Cameron also explained that their home is airtight. So when he ran through the numbers um, with me on this, and this is a fantastic thing about the interview because Cameron is a mechanical engineer and he's got this numerical um, bent in his work, he he was able to share some really fantastic data and in a way that was really transferable and understandable. So he explained to me about, about, um, about air changes in a home. And this is where I was just, I was gobsmacked. Now he said that the average home has about 15 to 30 air changes per hour based on the age of the home. So generally the older the home, the more air changes. So what that means is the air volume of the home will move from inside to outside 15 to 30 times per hour. Now you may think, well, that's okay. You know, I want natural ventilation. I want this to all work, but this is with the house closed up. And what this means is that, that if you're heating or cooling your home, you're paying to change the temperature inside your house using air conditioning or a heater. Then the fact that that air is moving, but 15 to 30 times per hour, um, 
that's the cold draft that you feel when you stand next to a closed window on a cold day. It's the draft under the door. You know, there's loads of smaller, more secretive gaps and leaks in an old non-airtight home. And that's that air interchange that's happening on a regular basis every hour and that we're just paying for to say dissipate to outside. So when you compare this to a passive house, Cameron said his home has 0.6 air changes per hour. So what that means is the building, when it's windy outside, will lose no more than 60% of the volume. Okay, so we're comparing 0.6 to 15 to 30. All right, so in an old non-airtight home that might have 30 air changes per hour, this is about 60 times the air changes of a passive house. Can you just imagine the level of control that the passive house then gives you in being able to manage and moderate what your internal temperatures are. Now, remember, this isn't about air freshness or ventilation. It's about controlling the comfort level of your home because the air tightness then enables you to manage exactly what kind of air you bring into your home and its freshness and its temperature. So the blower test that you may remember being described in other episodes, this is how they test air tightness on a home. And Cameron described it to me like this. He said, you put the fan on the front door, you essentially push air into the building and then you suck air out of the building and you test how airtight it is. And you can go in with that before you put plaster in to make sure that the membrane that you've put on as part of your building process that it's actually truly tight and where necessary you can go over with tape and you can fix any tiny little gaps that you've got there. He continued to say that you know perhaps the other thing to suggest is that it's actually fairly easy in most Australian capitals now to find a company that will pressure test your home. So they'll come out for a couple of hours they'll put this fan on the door and they'll pressurize the building and he said it's one of those insightful jaw-dropping moments the first time you do this. He said, our home was the first one I'd ever experienced it. When you pressurize it, you see just how leaky it is. And that I think is one of those really transformational sort of things that just changes the way in which we think about building. Now, Cameron mentioned that making the home airtight It also prevents the movement of moisture into the wall, into the ceiling space, where it can cause issues with the structural integrity of the home and also encourage mould growth. And we're finding out more and more what an issue mould can be for the health of many people. You know, so this is definitely another benefit of building and renovating this way. If you follow Alex Stewart's uh, Low Tox Life podcast, she has shared her own personal journey with how mould impacted her health and her well-being um, and and it's it's a really big issue for a lot of people so and it's something that um, isn't known about in a lot of medical um, standard treatment so um, but it is something that's proving to be a really considerable issue for a lot of people now when you head to Cameron's own website about this home and as I said links in the show notes you'll see some thermal imaging that they use to actually identify weaknesses in the insulation installation all right so he explains in detail how the insulation and the air tightness membrane were chosen and they were installed and there's also pictures of the blower test um, that I, that I just spoke about and the mechanical ventilation system and I'll explain more about that in a bit there's just some great you know pictures to sort of describe these things to you and uh, it's really worth checking out now Cameron spoke about his learning experience on this passive house journey as I said he's a mechanical engineer by career and he really you know I said to him do you think that that assisted with your ability to understand this and he said look it definitely did work in terms of understanding the science of passive house because it is a science it's data and information it's not a touchy-feely thing it is measured and it's you know it's actually 
properly accounted for. But he also pointed out the significant change there's been in the industry since doing this home three years ago and the availability of certified professionals, materials and products, you know, people that can help you, you know, means by which you can access information and the and the building materials that you need. And that makes it much more accessible for homeowners these days. Now, I also asked Cameron if he felt that as a family that had to make any compromises, um, you know, on the home or on their lifestyle in the home in order to commit to creating a passive house renovation. And he was very clear that that was not the case, you know, that he just didn't think it would fly if um, if they'd been forced to have to live in the home a certain way or to make, you know, choices about how the home was going to be. Um, and that they really weren't prepared to make fundamental compromises because um, because it just yeah it just wasn't going to work for them. But he said the main consideration definitely was the size of the home. Now I've spoken before on the podcast about how Australians build amongst the biggest houses in the world. Okay, on an average size we we're either the we'd sort of jump between being the biggest and the second biggest um, and Cameron's home is on the small side compared to the national average but he pointed out to me it is perfectly sized for them now I really loved this idea and I loved that that he had chosen creating a smaller project with a higher performance standard that was going to be lower cost to run over the long term rather than building a big house um, that maybe cost less to build up front, but was going to cost a lot to maintain heat and cool over the long term. It's a really different way that a lot of people, you know, that you, it's a really different way of thinking about building or renovating. And, you know, I really want to encourage you building or renovating. It's an opportunity to create the perfect home for you and your family. We are inundated with so many aspirational images of big white coastal Hampton style homes with big raking ceilings and exposed structure and pastel colors and huge spaces and big windows and, you know, massive volumes. And, you know, they can be totally beyond the financial reach of many when building or renovating, or they can actually just not be what you want to do. Um, And so... And I see homeowners really struggle to stay true to their own path and focused on what they truly want and need and not feel the pressures of needing to keep up with whatever the latest styles or trends are um, or that they see around them, you know, happening for other people and in other projects. And so I was I was full of admiration for Cameron and his family that they the commitment that they made to creating a solution that was perfect for them you know that's on the smaller size it feels comfortable it performs excellently it's fantastic for the planet and it costs peanuts in energy bills you know so now so yeah I really would encourage you whenever I hear homeowners say I want to create a sustainable design the cost thing is always then the next but it's going to cost me more and I would l- really encourage you to flip your thinking on what you're investing in the project up front versus what you're going to be investing in running the home long term. And for Cameron and his family, this was part of their thought process. They really assessed the spend up front versus the budget um, of expenses long term and how one could help the other. And, you know, it's very difficult and far more expensive to retrofit a home with measures that lower its running costs um, in the future. And some of the things are just too hard to retrofit so it's 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 a different way of thinking about building and renovating but I'd really encourage you to think about it because I'm seeing that the costs of running a home are only increasing 
and and we're all becoming more and more time poor in terms of the amount of time we have to maintain our homes as well. So building durable, low cost, low maintenance homes that are perfect for us and our lifestyle um, is, is something that I really encourage you to think about how that's going to work for you and how you can incorporate that into your thought process when you're building or renovating. Now, another insight that Cameron had was about the windows. So I want to quote him here because it was gold. He said, the windows are by far and away the single most expensive item in the passive house building. So if you want to have lots and lots of windows, then that's lots and lots of cost. And you have to be really careful about the orientation of those windows. So Cameron said, we have north facing frontage on our building. So the garden is to the south. They're in the Southern hemisphere. So that's not where the sun is. Now they said, we still wanted the connection to the garden at the back. And so we just compromised in a sense by having some slot windows that provided vistas out into the backyard without creating huge expanses of glass. So this is partly a cost saving measure and it's partly an initiative to ensure that we don't have huge heat losses across the glass. And he said, perhaps this is a philosophical difference uh, because in Australian climates now, we seem to be fixated on having huge walls of glass everywhere. He said, you can still do that, but you'd have to be prepared to pay for that privilege. And we didn't feel it was necessary for our lifestyle to do that. In terms of the operation, there's nothing whatsoever that's different um, from any other building. So I thought that was a really interesting perspective. I find that what I found from my conversation with Cameron was that they had really flipped their thinking on a lot of um, a lot of the aspects that I think we're just accustomed to do a certain way because they've always been done that way. And so I think it's really that level of thoughtfulness and, in, and intention that they had about what they wanted to create and the balance between uh, between certain decisions and prioritizing certain criteria, I think became really critical for them to get the outcome that suited them the best. Now, Cameron also told me about the mechanical ventilation system. So he described it as a small cupboard in their laundry with a box in it. And then ducts run from that system into each room of the house. And that delivers fresh air into the house from outside through a filtration system. And then ducts will also extract the you know, wet or stale air from spaces like the wet areas and the kitchen back to the box in the laundry and send it outside. So it means that fresh air is always in the house at a comfortable temperature and it's delivered to the home on a regular basis. So it's not like an air conditioning system because of course that's supplying air, but it's not, you've got extraction systems elsewhere and the system's not linked together. It's a very different process. And I think if you're thinking about this, but you're concerned about this mechanical ventilation system feeling artificial, my advice to you would be to go and check out one of these houses on a sustainable house open day or something like that, because the feedback that I've had is that the minute, you know, from people's experience, the minute you walk into one of these houses, um, you can feel the difference in the air quality inside the home. So um, that it feels fresh. You don't have those smells that are hanging around. It's a very different type of experience. So um, now every six months, Cameron says he vacuums the filters in the mechanical ventilation system and then annually he swaps them over for new ones. And when it's a comfortable air temperature outside, they open the window. So, you know, one of the benefits though of bringing filtered air into the home is then you've got the reduced risk of allergies and less dust as well. Okay. Now, 
the windows. All right. Now I mentioned earlier that Cameron gave me some fantastic detail about the windows. Um, and it's something he's super passionate about because they do play a critical role in the home's overall performance. Now, I really want to emphasize my research in passive house and sustainability that I've been doing as part of preparing this season and also in understanding more globally about how we build and renovate around the world and how that compares to what Australians do. Um, you know, when I see what gets done in the USA and Europe and the UK with window frame and glazing types, Australia is very lax on this by comparison. You know, I don't want to say we're behind, but I really do want to challenge you with this idea that how we've built, you know, for decades now is, is how we need to keep building because our climate actually isn't that mild anymore, you know, and whilst I record this podcast, it's 30 degrees for the, you know, fourth or fifth day in a run. It's been hovering around that for weeks and it's only going to get hotter this week, apparently. And, you know, this is not just anymore a, having a case of having a couple of days here and there that's like this. We have more extreme summers, we have more extreme winters. And, you know, I, I find that there's this this sense in Australia that we build our homes as these lightweight tent-like structures. We have single glazing and we're, you know, we're quite happy to just have them as these quite um, permeable things. And yet in European and New Zealand and Japanese and English and American, all of our counterparts in these locations, they don't build this way. And a lot of them will have similar climates to certain parts of Australia as well. So, you know, thermally broken window frames will be a standard. Your, you know, your double glazing is a standard. Um, and it's, it's still common practice here that when you get your, in Australia, when you get your window package quoted, that it's in clear glass. And, you know, I, I, it's such a basic upgrade to do tinted glass, to get the oxide put into the glass when it's manufactured. It makes a massive difference to the glare uh, factor and also to the, the, um, the, the performance of the window overall. And, and it's such a minor upgrade. And yet it's just something that we're not educated or aware about as homeowners in Australia. So if you heard my interview earlier this season with Tracy Gramlick from the, the Australian Window Association, um, she talked about how she believes double glazing should be a base standard in Australia. Um, if you haven't listened to that podcast, go back and check it out. It's just, it's fantastic. We spend a lot of money on glass windows and doors in our homes. We want to create this beautiful indoor outdoor connection and we are literally um, just setting ourselves up for very expensive heating and cooling bills if we don't do it well. So now Cameron actually explained to me that double glazing is not the same across the board. So he pointed out, you know, all the components need to be considered together and Tracy spoke about this as well. If you put double glazing in a conductive frame like aluminium, um, it really defeats the purpose of having that extra insulative, you know, quality of double glazing. Understanding the U values as well can also become helpful in assessing double glazing. So a U value is the rate of heat transfer across a material. Uh, so it's basically a measure of its insulative quality. You'll see U values on all sorts of things like, you know, wall um, components, um, floors, roofs, all that type of thing. And on, on window types as well. Now the lower, really what you just need to remember is the lower the U value, the more insulative it is. Now an R value might be something that you also see it's the measure of resistance of heat flow through a material. So it's actually the inverse of the U value. It's almost the opposite of the U value. So the U value measures how easily things pass through. The R value measures how resistant it is to things passing through. 
Um, why they have both, I'm not quite sure. I'm sure there's a reason and I'm sure I should probably know, but <laughs> it's one of those things. Now, so remember, the higher the R value, the more resistant, okay? And so you'll see products get rated with an R value or a U value, sometimes both. Now, higher the R value, the better insulation it is. The lower the U value, the better insulation it is. Now, Cameron pointed out to me that the typical U value of double glazing is 2.5. The most efficient double glazing, though, has a U-value of 1.2. That's actually twice the insulative performance. So there's things that you can do like films, uh, tints, glass types that you choose, the gap between, the size of the gap, what goes in it, whether it's a, some type of gas. Um, Tracy spoke about this in detail in that podcast as well, so head back and listen to that. You know, all of these things can impact the ability uh, of the window to insulate your home. And then of course the frame that you put it in will have a big impact as well. So all, you know, it may sound overwhelming to think about, oh, I just wanted to put, you know, a nice window that looks out to the view, but I really encourage you to just dive into some of the detail about this. It's all really accessible. So, um, that, Australian Window Association has a fantastic tool. I've also got links in there if you're in America for your window association and how you can see how different window manufacturers and their window types perform against each other so that you can make a comparative choice. So it's something to really consider whenever you're thinking, oh, I want to have a view out there, I want to have a physical connection and a sliding doors and those types of things, that you make a judgment about what type of glass you'll put and how that's going to protect your home in those more extreme times of the year. Now, um, uh, there's other things that um, Cameron told me about his home. The extensions in built-in rammed earth, which is a fantastic, beautiful, natural material. Um, I don't, if you're not aware of it, it's basically when earth or dirt is packed into a form. So between two um, vertical surfaces, really, about 300 thick the wall is, and it's packed down and it's got a cementitious mix added to it to hold it all together. And it creates this um, beautiful sort of straight like almost like um, strata sort of striations on the wall it's this really lovely natural finish so um, and I'll pop a whole heap of photographs of Cameron's house on the blog so again show notes link <laughs> I'm sounding like a broken record but um, yeah it's it's just a really gorgeous way of seeing what this this material looks like and um, they brought it in because they really love the aesthetic and um, it being a natural material it's also very low in embodied energy so embodied energy is the amount of energy a material takes to manufacture and produce so concrete for example concrete is a really has a really high embodied energy because of the intensity of energy used in its manufacture um, because this only had 10% cement in it this rammed earth um, it has a very very low embodied energy so it's it's an environmentally sustainable choice now last things I was I asked Cameron his tips for homeowners who are considering a passive house renovation or building and he said he had two tips now the first was to convince you yourself that it's worthwhile um, he's found that, and personally I found this too, is that once you're into it, you are into it. So there's resources, there's website, there's information at all sorts of levels of technical detail that you can access. There's so many people that are willing to share their knowledge and experience. I find that people who are in this Passive House community, everyone I've met has been such an advocate for it, so willing to share their knowledge about it because they believe in it so fundamentally as a method of building 
and as something that's going to make a difference to how we get to live and also what we're what you know our environment's going to be so and the sustainability of our environment overall now um the second tip was that if you're not actually technically minded, then get a passive house designer on board early. And I actually think this is a good idea, even if you are technically minded, because that iterative process that we've spoken about where the design gets fed into the measuring you know, performance tool and then that feeds back into the design and that sort of loop that happens, you, you want your team to be working with you to make the most out of your design and the performance of the home. And, you know, I believe that designing, building and renovating is best done as a team sport. And um, this is definitely true of Passive House. So as I said, I really encourage you to head to the show notes. You'll see the extra resources that I've put there. They include the link to Cameron's own site, um, the homes listing on the sustainable house open day, and also um, a link to the interview transcript. So if you go to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash Cameron, you'll see um, all of that information there and you'll be able to see some photos as well. There's lots of other gems that Cameron mentioned. Um, He's got no petrol costs because he runs an electric car, which is powered from um, his home solar panels. He has a total energy bill of $450 a year. Okay. So it's all broken down in the links in the show notes. Now, I want to say a huge thank you to Cameron for his generosity and time in sharing so much great information about his home and also in making it so accessible with all of these extra resources that he's created um, and for opening it up too for people to come and check it out in person. And I also want to extend an apology to you, Cameron, that I couldn't get your actual interview on the podcast and hopefully I've done our conversation justice. Now, in the next episode, I'm going to be speaking with another owner of a sustainable home, but she's also a designer. That's Frances Conway of White Pebble Interiors. And they've done, uh, Frances and her husband have done their own sustainable home project. She's going to be sharing how they implemented various sustainable design measures, material choices, um, and other ideas about sustainability, how a home can serve you over the long term. And they also put in a natural pool. So this is a great perspective uh, from the position of Francis being both the client and the designer. So make sure that you tune into that episode. Now, can I please ask two things of you? Okay, gorgeous UA listener. The first is, can you please jump on iTunes, rate and review this podcast if you haven't, and also subscribe to it. These are the things that tell iTunes that the podcast is recommended by listeners, and it means that they'll show the podcast to more homeowners who need this information. So I'd be super grateful if you could do that. The second thing is to please share this podcast with any friends, family, random strangers that you know are planning to design, build or renovate their homes. You know, the more knowledge that people have on their journey of building or renovating, the simpler the road ahead for them will be. If you'd personally like my knowledge, support and guidance for creating your future home, remember to check out my online course, How to Get It Right in Your Reno or New Home. It is a fantastic way to get informed and educated for your project, super fast and a super simple way. Whether you're very early in your planning, you're trying to really kick it up a gear or you've perhaps even started designing uh, your future new home or renovation. Nigel and Mel, previous members, they had this to say about the course. They said, firstly, thank you so much for the fantastic How to Get It Right course. We thoroughly enjoyed it. It was packed with information that provided us with further clarity as to the team we need to establish to create our family's forever home. The community and your guiding input was really enlightening and we got much more out of it than our initial positive expectations. 
The course uh, itself, it now gives you access not only to the fantastic lessons on the steps involved in home renovating or building, it also includes a Facebook group. There's monthly Q&A live sessions with me. I answer your questions about anything to do with home building or renovating. There's also a library of tips and strategies, key tools and resources. There is so much helpful stuff in there to save you time, money and stress in your project. I am passionate about you being armed with what you need to make your project a success, okay? So head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash how to get it right to learn more about what's included and to join right away. As always, thanks so much for listening to the Get It Right podcast and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time. 